reports that were kind of informal. Uh, anybody that knows Dave, uh, our new Dave, that uh, he was very informal himself. And uh, anytime you see me standing up here and him seeing this, you know they couldn't get anybody else, I'm afraid. I was scraping a bottle of the barrel, but I had to come from Dave. There's just no uh, same reason everyone else is here. Um, I'm, I'm Jeff Reese. I'm the past president of uh, the Houston Peace and Justice Center. Bill graciously was, is the new president. And, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about me because we're here to talk about Dave. And so most everybody knew him better than I did, you know, unfortunately, because I got here a little bit late. But right now we, we have some lovely ladies that are going to come dance. And Martina Rafala, where are you, Martina? Please, I'm going to have Martina come up here and introduce the, 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 uh, right now. yes, the dancers you people. Yeah, are they ready? Oh, I know. We're doing a video first. We're going to get eight, please. Yeah, it's not going to be right. Mama, make it sound here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. See, now you don't want to come up here and I'm last. Um, so we're not going to do that. I'm glad everyone's joining us. All right, instead of that, let me have a pastor. Leave me where you're at, Pastor. You're going to start it off. I do apologize. I'll correct what I just said. They're going to be uh, dancing a little bit later. Okay. You don't want me dancing for you. That's for sure. I feel bad I haven't really done much except to do that transfer. My name is Lee Lieber. I am the transitional pastor here at the Houston Mennonite Church. I've uh, lived in a variety of places. Grew up near Chicago, Illinois, and I've lived in different places as I've pastored, and it's good to be in Houston among you all. I want to invite you as we feverish activity here getting the tech together. We may have it. But we may have some glitches along the way and people arriving. I want to invite us to take a deep breath and be quiet for, for a few seconds to kind of center ourselves and be present here in this place with each other. Can we do that? Talk about 
God's light lighting each person who comes into the world. Uh, we have a couple of candles lit over here. I hope they evoke kind of the memory of the presence of David and Priscilla Hatwood. I did not know them at all. I don't know if I ever met them. I'm fairly new to Houston. Um, but I'm delighted to be with this group of people who some of you are recognized from different activities in the city and here at the church uh, that we participated together in. Um, Houston Mennonite Church has been around since the mid-60s, started out as a house church. The Mennonites are a group and a movement that started in the early 1500s. Next year we celebrate 500 years of the Anabaptist Mennonite movement. It was a movement for peace, a movement for justice, a, move, a movement to help people who were feeling oppressed. Then we continue that tradition in many ways here at Houston Mennonite Church. I came into the Mennonite Church about 40 years ago as a Vietnam veteran, a part of uh, Veterans for Peace, and I appreciate the witness of peace that uh, Houston Mennonite Church continues to shine in this community and in many other places. Uh, the previous pastor here was uh, called the Peace Pastor. He wrote a column for the Chronicle. And maybe some of you remember him and participating with him in various ways. Today we are here to honor the lives of David and Priscilla Atwood. His son and family are here and we welcome them. And, uh, our love and our prayers are with you uh, as we go through this, as you go through the time of feeling the loss, but also as you celebrate a life that has been lived well. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uh, got up from the table and took off, put a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. Kind of a central theme, I think, of being the following that way of life is to serve others. And it sounds like your parents did that well in various ways, served various causes, helped lift people up, um, spoke for those who didn't have a voice, and uh, we appreciate that. I think many of you here are involved in various causes, and we appreciate that. And I think it's good to take time to appreciate the lives and the actions and the principles, perspective, and the faith of those who have walked that journey and walked it well. And so we pray for God's blessings upon this gathering as we share memories, as we share with each other, as we gather as a community to remember these five people. Can I have a prayer with you? God, we thank you for your love for your grace, for your mercy, for calling us to lives of justice and peace and action. And we give thanks for these lives that we remember today and pray that as we remember their lives, we will be encouraged, we will be uplifted, and we will find new strength for the journey. We pray in the name of the ones who taught us of the little life of love and a life of peace. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
I have no idea what comes next because the MC is, uh, has all the information. And thank you, thank you very much, Pastor. All right, next we're going to hear from uh, Dave's son, Michael. So Michael would come up here and uh, share with us. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for coming uh, to this memorial for my parents. It means a great deal to my family. Uh, I really don't have anything that's pre-prepared, but I just wanted to come and, and thank everyone for uh, remembering my parents, remembering my mom and, and my dad. Uh, peace and, and uh, the pursuit of, of nonviolence was a, a big passion for my father. Uh, he spent, you know, the latter part of his life focusing on that. And, uh, my mom uh, loved my dad a lot. My my my, <laughs> my my dad certainly loved my mom, and my mom at some point was actually uh, kind of forced to go along with my dad's hobbies. That's kind, of, <laughs> that's kind of what happened in this case. It, it became her passion later in life too. They they both uh, I think came to really appreciate the community, uh, you know, the use of peace and justice center and the various causes they were working on in the Texas Coalition to abolish the death penalty. But I think the people uh, that belong to those organizations uh, uh, really meant so much to them. And it means so much to see you all here uh, because I know you're all friends and, and family to my parents in your own right. And uh, they loved all of you and it just means a great deal. Uh, my dad uh, really was passionate about helping people. I would say that he's probably a humanist in the most purest sense, that he didn't care uh, you know, what your background was, you know, what you've done in the past, um, your ethnicity, uh, color, gender, religion, none of that was ever important to my dad. He just saw people as people. And I think that uh, in, in the world we're in now, it's really hard to see that because I feel like there's so many forces trying to separate people in different groups. My dad never saw anybody like that. He just saw people as people. And he felt that everybody deserved compassion. Uh, everyone deserved help. And uh, that, that's what he really tried to do. He, he really just wanted to make the world a better place. And uh, he focused on that. And, you know, and uh, my, my mom, you know, my dad's passions became my mom's passions. And they were very passionate about peace. You know, they were uh, very involved here locally uh, in Houston, various causes. And, you know, uh, you know, kept up on politics and, and things like that. And, you know, they, they were, you know, very uh, uh, conscious. Self, they were very conscientious when it came to how uh, the world was functioning. That just became something that was uh, a focus of theirs, and you know, they instilled that in their children. Um, you know, my dad was very focused on uh, immigrants, immigrant rights. Uh, you know, marginalized communities, uh, uh, vulnerable communities. So that that was something that was so important to them. I think they tried their best to help as many people as they could while they were here, and you know, seems like they've inspired a lot of people. And they, you know, definitely had a big community here, people that that uh, shared the same passion. So uh, it just means a lot that you're all here, and I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, this is great. Um, I did have something I wanted to share, and this is a a prop that I brought. So. Uh, my dad, at one point, when they started trying to clean out their house, uh, would sometimes come by my house randomly and drop off 
bags of books. So they had lots of books. My dad loved to read, and he read books all the time. He was a very well-read person. You know, he's very. You know, he had a master's degree. He was a, a, a chemical engineer by profession. Uh, worked for Shell for you know, uh, you know, twenty or thirty years, but. Uh, he was very self-educated. He read all the time, and he was a big, big reader. You know, up until you know his final days was was always reading. So, in one of these bags of books, he I found this book that he dropped off, and I don't know who this author is. His name is Dennis Whaley. Uh, and there's this book. It's called Seeds of Greatness. And so I was flipping through the book, and my dad had made notes, and I think he did that in most of his book. You'll see him scribble little words and notations here and there. And it looks like in one of the chapters here, there is a, uh, a part where it's like a, kind of like a self-evaluation of kind of like, what do you want to do with your life? And so it, has, it, it has these statements, and then it has you fill in what you want to do. So uh, I'll read what the statement is and then how my dad filled it in. So the first one says, one goal I really want is, and he fills in, build a nonviolent world. And this, this book is old, too. I don't know. I mean, this is probably 20, you know, maybe 30, 40 years old. So this tells you a little bit about my father's mindset back then, quite a while ago. If I had a great deal of money, I would, and I think what he wrote, this kind of small uh, print, uh, start a center for nonviolence. <laughs> I would like to be the kind of person who builds peace. That was his answer. A place I would like to visit is USSR or China. So this is that's what makes me think this is a long time ago. I think this was you know Cold War era when he wrote this. Uh, my my life would be better if I didn't have to pay bills. <laughs> and if you knew my dad, he was you know usually a very cheerful guy. Uh, you really never saw him in a bad mood. Even as kids, we never really saw him in a bad mood. But the only time we can really truly in a bad mood was when he was sitting down paying bills. He did not like to pay the bills. Uh, if I had the time, I would work full time on peace. And that's, he made that happen. He pretty much retired from Shell early, uh, started working with the, you know, various causes, the Texas Coalition of Laws and Death Penalty, I think was, was the big, big one he started with and kind of branched out from that. But, uh, you know, peace was his passion, and you know, very few people followed their passion in life, and uh, he definitely had the opportunity to do that. And, uh, it meant a great deal to him to be able to to work on these various causes. And uh, I just want to say thank you to all the people that are here um, to help to help him with that or continuing that, uh, even though he's gone. Um, he would have loved to see you all here today. I mean, it would have made him so so happy. And, uh, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for all the organizers, Sophia, Bill, uh, Crozier, his wife, and uh, the other people who organize this that, you know, I don't know personally, but it means so much to my family. Uh, thank you so much. Also want to say this is my wife, uh, Christy. Hi. She likes to come. My dad loves Latin and culture. Thank you very much for that. Your dad was a great man, and the reason everyone's here is because of his life. And you know, maybe he did a lot that he didn't realize he did, and I know he helped me a whole lot. So I was a cop, by the way, when I first met your dad. 
and uh, we had a nice discussion about the death penalty, and he changed my mind about the death penalty. So anyway, I, I digress. So the next, yeah, Sophia. Thank you, thank you very much. I, I judge my career about how many people I didn't put in jail. So that's, uh, no one wants to, you know, you heard that. Uh, Dave also was very uh, instrumental in criminal justice reform. And there's uh, Johnny Mata, who's the back of one of the big civil rights icons. And he's, Dave stood shoulder to shoulder to do a lot of things here in Houston. But uh, I digress. And uh, Sophia, if you'd like to come up. Hi, everybody. My name is Sophia Morrow. I am a, I guess I've known the athletes while well, David Hicks for like 20 years. Might want to go closer to the mic. Can you hear me now? Yeah, better. Okay. All right, so um, my name is Sophia Murray, and I am, um, I've known David Bay for about 20 years plus, and it was <coughs> got me involved in the uh, Texas Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. And as you guys know, David Bay kind of made friends and family wherever they went, in addition to their beautiful family <laughs> um, that Michael's here represented. He had lots of friends and families across the world. And we've had some technical problems, but we do have, I think, an audio live from Italy, from the Italian Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. So they can't hear or see us, but I'm going to text them right now, and I'm going to ask Ariana if she can talk, and let's hope you guys can hear her. I can say that they were people 
in Texas and abroad. They keep believing the strength of unity, the power of kindness, and the beauty of community. Their lives were a testament to their values. Their actions a reflection of their hearts. Their legacy attributes to their spirits. Peggy loved nature, wildlife, and animals so much. She loved being in nature in Colorado. And their family home in Houston was always full of beautiful pets. Anka, Cody, Bella, Stella, just to name a few. She was like a women's version of St. Francis of Assisi. She was adorable. This was a tiny companion for human and social rights. Capital punishment, prisoners, workers, immigration, and a lot more. Wherever the rights of a person were violated, there he was. They denied work on so many issues together, and we achieved many results. He taught me so much, and I owe him a lot. However, our biggest dream that is the abolition of capital punishment has not yet come true. But I promise I will keep working on that until my last breath. I miss them every day. I miss them so very much. They were such an important part of my life. And I am so grateful, grateful as I know that I am a better person for having known them. I think we all are. Now, rest in power, rest in power, dear American man and dad of mine. We will meet again. I do not know where, I do not know when, but I know we will meet again some sunny day. I love you. I'm sorry. Sister Helen Freeman. What's your favorite 
David with a bright green oasis of kindness, compassion, and fierce passion for human rights. He befriended not only those who condemned, who were condemned to die, but their families as well. And so many of us who came to Texas to do our small part to end state killing. Dave and Priscilla were a beautiful team. I am so glad they had each other. Thank you, Dave, for all you taught us, especially in season and out of season, faithfulness to the cause of human rights. In our hearts, you will shine forever like a star for all of eternity. Sister Ellen Frejean. Okay. Um, I think it's important to know that the reason Sister Helen could not be here with us today is that she is spending every single moment she has right now trying to save the life of Ivan Cantu. Ivan is sitting on death row right now, and unless there is a stay of execution, the state of Texas will murder Ivan on um, this month, later this month. On, on um, So she's exactly where Dave would want her to be rather than to be here with us. And I just would like to add, while I have such a beautiful room of social activists here captive, <laughs> that Dave would also want each of us to be doing whatever we can to assist Sister Helen in her fight. A judge granted a stay of execution for Ivan last year because of strong evidence of innocence. And we need to get that done again. Please reach out to your elected officials. Please contact the Collin County District Attorney's Office. Please reach out with any media contacts you may have. Use your social media, your emails, your text messages, and spread the word. Please talk to your friends and, and encourage them to do the same thing. And, and if you have funds, please donate to Sister Helen's organization. And one last thought. While we have only days to save Ivan Cantu, there are 179 men and women sitting on death row just here in Texas, and they also need our help. Today, we have watching via the stream from France, my good friend Nadine, whose husband Eugene Broxton has been sitting on death row for 30 years. Eugene is in the middle of an evidentiary hearing, which is introducing DNA that supports his claim to innocence. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Also, sitting right here with us is one on the phone. Come up here with me. No? No, you want to stay there? Okay. So um, Yancy and her husband Juan is actually on the phone with her from death row. Juan is sitting on death row. And this is despite evidence that someone else committed the crime. Um, I wish I had time to tell you every single name of the persons that are sitting on death row, but we're talking way too many, and they're not going to give you enough time to stay up here. Um, and they all deserve our help. Um, so just lastly, please, 
Please help keep David's dream of abolishing the death penalty alive. Dave's already done the hard part, you guys. All we have to do is walk in his footsteps. So, thank you. Now there's a song, have we played the song yet? It's a song about job. He was our uh, co-founder. But right now, he loves the Latino community. He loves the Indian community. And that's the reason I will talk about something about him later on. But for now, I want to introduce these beautiful ladies. They're going to dance in, in his memory and pay in memory because they love the folklore. They love the Latino. They love the Mexican dresses and dance and food and everything. So they come to join us today with two songs. It's going to be the. El Sol de la Negra. El Sol de la Negra. Y Jarabe Tapatio. Jarabe Tapatio. I don't even know where it's going to be. Thank you. Okay. Just go with it. So.
Well, appropriately, the next uh, person up is a young man named Johnny Mata. And uh, Johnny, come on up. <laughs> this is the head of the Greater Coalition of Houston Coalition for Justice.
he got ill. I said, Dad, you're a good priest now. You're now back in the status of being. And so I can never forget him. Uh, he was an inspiration. He was a down-to-earth person. And that's what it takes. The quality of people in our organization are fantastic. I would like to, um, at this time, uh, have the family to come in. And we did a resolution in memory of him. And uh, where, uh, yes, here you are. I would like to remember, you want to get on this side? Yes. <laughs> Tammy, this is just the intro part, and it's not. Where Dave Atwood was a strong supporter of the Greater Houston Coalition for Justice, and served as vice chair as well as treasurer, and the one-year anniversary of his death is an appropriate occasion for members of the Greater Houston Coalition suggested to reflect on his life and service for justice for all in the criminal justice system. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. My mom would love the fact that you put a much younger picture. I <laughs> 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 a graduation picture from nursing school. She loves that. So when you you notice that your mom is looking at David. Oh, yeah. And now that they're in heaven, I figured she still needed to look at David because David was did a lot of little back behind messages. So I did it that way so she can keep an eye on it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I want to let the other members say a few words because uh, he was well loved. You know, I could go on and talk about him all day, but it was this quality of people that made the coalition. We were not, we did not originate just as another organization, but to deal with social change. Right now, you know, we've changed the grand jury. We're looking at the uh, jail situation. We're looking at a conference because the caseload is not only for people who cannot afford it. So the system needs to change. And the death penalty and, and all, everything else, because we're all children of God, we should aid each other. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. To God goes all the glory and praise in his precious son's name, Jesus Christ for the lives of Dave and Priscilla Peggy Atwood. I am honored to be here to share with you what Dave Atwood and Priscilla meant to our community. I would call Dave it wouldn't matter if he was in Colorado handling a family issue there with his son. Wherever he was, he would pick up the phone. 
That's the kind of community leader they was, community supporter. And I am inspired by his life, by his work to promote justice, peace, and standing up. When you talk about action, they moved. He moved. And that's why we are privileged to stand up today to acknowledge the work, the service that he gave to his community. And more importantly, my God knows you already know this, to his family. Whenever he was dealing with issues <coughs> in the community, his family would come first. And he would say, Tammy, I'm going to tell you what to do, but I got to do so-and-so. And it would be something that he had to do for his family. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there. I'll be there, you know, with you in spirit, but I won't be able to be there with you physically. So you can rest and know that you had a warrior for a father, someone that set the example for you, the legacy that he left for all of us is incredible. But when you stand first and foremost as God would have you to, for your family, you set an example for all of us. Because if all of us stood first and foremost for family, then the world wouldn't be in the condition it would be in because we would have somebody fighting for those who are vulnerable because their family would be standing for them. So today, I just want to acknowledge Dave and Peggy and say to all of you, remember them. Remember them in your actions and your fight for justice. Thank you. story uh, about the family. Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah. Oh, unfortunately you can't. Okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> um, I was an instructor and I taught at the Harris County Sheriff's uh, Academy and I taught crisis intervention, which is a, uh, is a, a way of peaceful uh, solution to an issue instead of resorting to violence. And, uh, and I told Dave, I said, you know, we were talking about, I said, uh, I always show an insert of this movie called Patch Adams based on a true story. That's when he told me the true story of, of his version of Patch Adams. He told me how Peggy, uh, I guess she was a nurse or doctor, and yeah, when they were here in Houston, they had a clinic going, an underground clinic themselves, just like in the movie. And they saw people that couldn't afford to pay a doctor. And their whole house was converted into a clinic. And uh, no, I, I didn't know that, I had no idea. I'm sure not, that was the way Dave was. He didn't want to be praised. He didn't want to be known for doing good. He just did good. And uh, there were so many times we had a phone call and Dave says, hey, I can't make it. The mayor wants me to sit with him in the float and the MLK parade. And I said, Dave, uh, he says, can you do it? I said, no, they don't want me, they want you. Nah. You know, they don't want the president of an organization, they want you. And so, of course, I, uh, I showed up, but I didn't uh, sit with the mayor, of course. <laughs> so that's 
my story and I'll keep going with the program. Bill, do you want to say anything or not? You don't have to. Because, you know, David Peggy was such an inspiration to all of us, and I hope we can all do whatever we can to help fulfill his and his and her vision for a, uh, a world that's uh, just and fair for everybody. Thank you very much. And, uh, and just as a note, uh, Dave is a very hard act to follow, but the coalition is going to carry his memory for as long as we can. Thank you. Martina, where are you? Are you coming up or are you, are you done? You coming up? Okay, come on up. I just want to say something about Baby and our organization. And I work Francisco because he loves Francisco. For everything he calls Francisco, he needs to fix a watering in Francisco. He always was looking for Francisco. I met um, Davy and Peggy on maybe 14 years ago. I met him when I don't have no organization at all. And I talked to him on, I met him on a janitor's uh, protest when they was renewed, trying to renew the contract. I met him there, and I know that people here know me because we came for a long way together. And I talked to him and I said, David, I would like to open a Houston immigrant center. And he said, Go, Martina, go. It's now the immigrant community, is the community more vulnerable? And they don't have no much services, and they don't have a lot of respect, and that justice or nothing. And I said, Baby, but it's not easy. So let me keep on going. And I was working on the junior for a long time. And then he found me again and said, Martina, you need to open your organization. And I said, baby, I really can't. It's a lot of work and I had to work to support my family. I was a single mom at that time. And he said, do it. I will help you. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. And he loved that in the community. He always was talking about his, his, his daughter-in-law, always. And he said, OK. Let's do it. So he was my treasure. He fixed my bylaw. He kind of lawyer. He does everything. And I, when I say, David, are you the co-founder of Alianza Latina International? And he said, No, Latina, no, that's you. That's you. And I say, No. But he never let me say that in public. Never. So when we fight, we have a lot of fights. And he loves Alianza Latina International because we were everywhere. And hiding everywhere for uh, salary issues, for housing issues, for immigration issues, everywhere. So he was, he loved uh, the, the organization. And when we fight for the soldier, Vanessa Kien, he when I told him he's going to be involved, he said, Do it. So right away, he sent an email to Sylvia Garcia and to Sheila Jackson and say, let's work together. This organization is going to do it. So we started working on that with David. So now I feel like we lost a big, big justice, justice fighter. Because I don't know if we're going to find somebody like him. He really worked and fight with any other internet by justice. 
and it's, it's, it's a big club that we don't have right now, but I know he's gonna still keep fighting with us. I know, since he's, he's gonna do and baby, the sweet lady, I believe. Love them, love to see them together. Sometimes they be like, oh, hey, baby, that's enough. <laughs> Yeah. But she's still there, right? So far, we have a lot of beaches, beautiful beaches, but we didn't show up. Um, but please keep David and Peggy memory to you alive because that is going to be helping us to keep on work for justice. He wants justice, all of us want justice because that's the reason we're here because one of the finances left in front of us and thank you thank you for um let us stay here and i know i need one of you to be in la alianza latina internacional cristina a lo mejor tú puedes ayudarnos <laughs> and uh, he always uh, pay attention to me because to my accent but he always say, Martina, I love the way you talk. And I say, no, baby, let me perfect my English. And say, oh, I, I understand you. So let me say, Francisco wants to say something very quickly because again, he loves Francisco more than anybody else. I guess that has to do with the accent though. Yeah. Um, I met Mr. David probably about five, seven years ago when we started with the organization Alianza Latina Internacional. He always had a smile. He always smiled. It doesn't matter what it was. They were always smiling. It was a characteristic of him. Um, when one, one time I remember I asked him why he wanted to get involved with the Latino community. And he told me, I didn't make you guys. And he told me that because he had a daughter-in-law that it was an immigrant. And he saw the struggle. He saw, it's very difficult to understand at that grade, you know, to feel the pain of others. It, it, it's something that you gotta learn, I guess. Um, and he, he told me that. And that's the reason he was involved in the Latino community. So, Christina, he always speak great of you. So, thank you, thank you, Mr. Michael. And thank you all for being here. Look at the agenda up here. Kathy Foley, are you here? Are you coming to speak? Kathy, hi. I assume you're next, but I'm not quite sure. Um, Sophia asked me to speak on behalf of Peggy. <laughs> um, because um, I know the seriousness of the topics that are going to be discussed here, I decided to work or speak on our relationship. 
Now, I met Peggy in 1989 at Marital House in the nascent days of what became Fox Christie Houston. We discovered our birthdays from three days apart. Each was an art and antiques lover, and each of us had a spouse um, seeking a nonviolent world, working in peace and social justice. My husband, Tico, was a conscientious objector in the early 1960s. Then, Peggy and I became more constant friends when I was a graduate student at UST 2001 to 2003. We were in daily contact. Over the decades, she and I shared our hopes for our children, our irritations with our boyfriends, disappointments and successes related to our church, and much of the political gritty and goofiness of our lives. Over time, I met each of the children and their grandson, Kevin. Note that there was no Texas coalition against the death penalty. There was no journey of hope from violence to healing. There was no HBJC at this time. But because of our relationships, and our common interests, the foundation was being laid for many of the social justice activities that took each of us here today. Now, according to Dave, the early seeds of what he referred to as the beloved community for him and Peggy started when the family moved to the Houston area in the 1970s before they moved to the house on Kipling. For us Catholics of a certain age, we were in the honeymoon stage of Vatican II. According to Dave, their first home in Texas, in North Houston, in a neighborhood where there were many other Roman Catholics. So in the heady days, we could call a priest friend and have mass in our homes. We'd invite the neighbors and everybody came in. Dave always spoke, spoke admiringly of Peggy's ability to be a wonderful, welcoming hostess and mother of a growing family. Now, my belief is the key word to understanding Peggy is nurturing. The complement to that is ministry. She was a ministry to other kinds of persons. A mutual friend of our, of we four, said we are formed by our ministry, and so she was, and they were. She didn't care about others superficially. She really cared deeply about each individual person. And I think many of us had the same effect with Dave. They were real. They were deep. It wasn't, hello, how are you? Mother, look at this way. Um, I've made a few examples of some areas that support what I think is my position on her nurturing, her ministering. First, David always came first. When she and I were out antiquing together or discussing her plans for peace and justice activities on the University of St. Thomas campus or at House or Pax Christi activities in Houston or Huntsville or wherever it is, Dave thinks, Dave wants, Dave this, Dave that. Dave was the essential part, excuse me, she was the essential part of the package that was Dave Atwood. Then came the children. She and I did long and sharp art and antique travels to San Antonio, Austin, sometimes with the spouses, other towns around Houston, and within Houston. When we shopped, it was, I think, Richard like this. It was always the other person who was first in her language, which reflected her thinking. It was somebody else. In summer 2001, we drove my daughter back to college in South Bend, Indiana, and we antique shopped at every place along the way. I think it added four hours to our trip. And 
We came back with more pieces of light turquoise mill lamp dishes and kitchenware than I thought were ever even made, but that was because her daughter Kathy liked it. Then the students especially. She shared her concerns for the students through the materials she provided in the pamphlets and the one-on-one -on -one conversations. She was open to discussion with the students about topics that were difficult to manage, from surprise pregnancies to STDs. She was determined to give out correct information and was peeved when others tried to stop her. I can still hear that sweet, nasally voice filled with periodic frustration. Over time, and with a new USD president, this led to the position and the person of nurse at UST being removed at the end of 2004. Her remark was, how can they do that to the students? It was not, how can they do that to me? As a friend, to, with, and for me, she um, really took up a lot of my time, thank goodness. When we thought my husband cancer had been cured in 2005, it was Peggy and Dave, the art lovers, who suggested we get together to attend the Peter Max exhibit and share one of our usual every six weeks dinner engagement at Good Seafood. And it was Peggy and Dave who, on June the 9th of 2007, showed up at Memphis Hospital to see Tico. Peggy was not pleased with how the nursing staff had left him as he lay dying, so she immediately started ministering to him. He died within the hour. Although not in the room at the actual time of his death, Peggy and Dave were there. And I think that's the key for so many of us here today. Peggy and Dave were there. They showed up. We all showed up, of course, for marches, protests, and more. But they were always there. And then the animals. As noted in Peggy's obituary, she loved animals and there were always animals in and around the house. One phone conversation, she canceled dinner because there's fire in Colorado and we have to save the horses. I said, how's your house? I don't care about the house, it's the horses. <laughs> and guess, now this is when it tickled me when Mike talked about Peggy being forced to go along. Oftentimes there were guests at the Kipling house and many of you may have stayed there. I don't know the day they moved to Kipling, but one of the stories supporting Dave's idea of building a beloved community occurred when a convicted murderer talked to Dave about being homeless. And so Dave invited him to live with them on Kipling. Dave introduced the man to Peggy, helped the man move in, and went to work. <laughs> According to Dave, who told the story, Peggy was now home with underage children and a convicted murderer as a permanent house guest with no job. <laughs> Dave said Peggy asked him to consider how she might feel about that not pre-discussed arrangement. And Dave always added, what was they thinking? So there were some practical differences that occurred when the road hit the road of their ideological beliefs of post-Vatican II practicing Roman Catholics. The practical hostess for Peggy's forte. She initiated room reservations at University of St. Thomas for social justice groups. She invited groups to have booths for advertising, social justice focus groups, and the Jeremy gym when she learned of the options on the university schedule. When Peggy died and Dave said, how am I going to live without her, he was spot on. She was the lifeblood that allowed him to do his public bit to build the beloved community. 
before and during the time that there was an HBJC. It was through the Diocese of Galveston, Houston, that Dave initially met and all of us became friends with Ellen Burns in 1992, and then her Rothschild. It was Ellen Burns working with her Rothschild in a lively, give-and-take relationship hmm. <laughs> that founded HBJC. Ellen, a former nun, was the signatory for the Articles of Incorporation for HPJC in 1998. In the Kruger Center at St. Thomas University, University of St. Thomas, it was in a room reserved by Peggy that Ellen Burns and her Rothschild announced the more formal agreement to create the much-needed Houston Peace and Justice Center. So my house is full of Peggy and Dave the Rodelia about our adventures together. Um, it may sound weird to say that it's not that I don't miss them, but they're with me all the time, whether it's a pot we picked up in Boulder or a piece of furniture that she and I picked up going to or from Illinois, um, just all kinds of little things. Some of the pictures I bought are now at their house in Colorado, and the pictures she bought are at my house. So I'm surrounded by them. And I think to myself of the Adventist goal of the beloved community, it is inside of me with the happiness I have had of having known them. The made my husband and me, and I'm sure part of you, all part of their beloved community. We were among their beloved, and they made sure we knew it. Thank you. Jerry Steinhalder from the Healing Racism Institute, young lady, beautiful friend, please come up. It's very interesting. When I received the notice about this event in memory of Dave and Peggy, and my first thought was, well, I guess NRG was booked today. <laughs> so that's the reason we had to have it at the Mennonite Church. Mm -hmm. I want to say to you, the very first memorial was on Zoom. When I got that invitation, I put it on the calendar. And oh yes, I have to be there. And for some reason or another, I forgot the date. And you will never know mental trauma that I went through because I forgot that date. It was so bad I went to Sister Seal and I even talked to her about the anxiety that I was feeling because I missed that date. I was very happy to know that I got a second chance <laughs> that I 
have a second chance to be here. But let me say to you what I also said to Sister Seal. I did watch part of that memorial service. And yes, I knew about you. I watched it, but I told her, for 35 years in a few months, the Center for the Healing of Racism have existed in Houston, Texas. But as I watched that memorial, my heart was sad when I watched the video. Because I know what David gave to people of color. But as I watched it, it was full of white people. And I was sad about that. And so, Sister Seal said, Cherry, don't beat yourself up. Because it's as if I hadn't worked hard enough in 35 years to make the difference, to make it look like the beloved community that he talked about all the time. And so now I find myself here today. And yes, there are some people of color here. But I'm going to say to you that if you have people in your life that knew Dave, I want you to go back and put them on notice that they should have been here. This room should have been busted with people of color. Because see, I know a lot of the people he helped. But then, with that sadness, there's something that I will say today that probably no one else with all of the organizations he was affiliated with can say. I have a picture of Peggy and Dave in my bedroom, <laughs> king-size bed, my husband, Peggy, Dave, my little dog, <laughs> and myself. We are watching a documentary together. Now, top that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting things is, because I love fried catfish and grits, and I found out that they did too, so I can get on the email saying, hey, y'all want to come over to the house with some catfish and grits? And of course they came. Peggy, I've been to the Kipling house at the invitation of David Peggy as they cooked for me. So I've heard you talk about carrying on the work of David and Priscilla. But I'm going to say, if we could really feel what he really wanted, the beloved community, all of everything else would get done. The death penalty, the racism, the sexism, the homophobia, all of it would get done if we could just feel the beloved community. And I end with, because I want you to know I was listening when someone talked about how he smiled all the time. And I looked at the program, and there's that smile that you never hold. I also looked at that program to see that today, 
His memorial has been celebrated from the day he was born, February the 3rd. Mm-hmm. As I looked at this program, I looked at the songs that you chose. When the saints go marching in, and I think that's more than appropriate. Mm-hmm. The other song, Lay Down My Burdens. And I think at times we all need to find time to just lay down our burdens. But then the other song that had Chow Bella, oh my gosh, y'all were thinking about me because I very seldom ever say bye. I will say chow. And it's interesting how contagious it is within my community of people that I spend my time with. Sometimes they have to add another chow to it. Rather than saying chow, they say chow chow. So, in looking at this program, the last but not the least, imagine. If we could just imagine what the beloved community would look like. Just imagine. And I say in closing, well loved. Now we love and we keep loving. And I want you to know I loved your father. I wouldn't be in bed with him otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) I can't talk that. (laughs) He can cry. Yeah. Okay. So I think I have to divert from the uh, agenda a little bit. Uh, Maria, girl, are you here? Maria, please come. Say something. Hi. Good afternoon. I still feel the deep sorrow because of the death of David and Peggy Apple. Through David's books, it is not difficult to appreciate the kind of person he was. Of course, he counted on with the support of his wife, Peggy, with him during protests against death penalty, against war, or any other manifestation of human rights. We miss them, and I think the best form to reward them is to try to introduce in our churches David's book, Nonviolent People. This book, this book should go to the libraries and to be sold at any church denomination because of its universal content and message of non-violent people like, for example, Jesus of Nazareth, St. Francis of Assisi, Manhattan Gandhi, Martin Luther King, uh, Dorothy Day, Cesar Chavez, Mother Teresa, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and Thich Nhat Hanh. Every page of this book 
gives hope to humanity to continue living in the troubled world we are living now. I still carry in my wallet a photocopy of page nine of this book, a very deep prayer and reflection asking God to change our hearts. I think that for his friends at Houston Peace and Justice Center, it should, shouldn't be difficult to devote, to evolve David's book now when peace is most needed. And if you see page nine of this book, you will see a beautiful, beautiful thought that he had. I still have it in my mind. So thank you very much for coming today. Thank you very much, Maria. And uh, now we're going to uh, hear from Michael again. Michael, do you want to come up? Uh, hey, everybody. I just wanted to add a couple more things. Uh, or say a few more words. Uh, again, it's been very, very touching to see all the beautiful stories you shared about my parents. Uh, you know, he meant a lot to you guys, and you obviously meant very much to him. So uh, thank you so much again for sharing all your stories. It's just really, really touched me, and uh, also my wife. Uh, I did want to mention that the story that Kathy Foley told earlier about the death row inmate uh, recently exonerated coming to stay at our house is absolutely true. Uh, a gentleman named uh, Kerry Max Cook, and some of you know made the you know, story about him, uh, was exonerated from uh, death row, and uh, he was uh, out of prison, I think, maybe for 48 hours before he was at our house. And uh, my dad did not disclose this information to my mom that uh, death row inmate, you know, regardless of the fact that you know he was he was innocent. Uh, he'd been institutionalized over a period of 20 years, and he was now going to be staying in our, in our uh, garage apartment. And that really freaked my mom out at the time. <laughs> and as, as as I was a little bit of a juvenile delinquent at that time, so I thought having a you know recently exonerated death row inmate stay in our house was actually very cool. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. I think that's really neat. I'm tell all my friends, but it really did kind of freak out my mom. But that just kind of gives you a little bit more insight into the dynamics of the relationship, especially when my dad really started uh, veering into the uh, uh, realm of social justice. Uh, I also just wanted to say really quickly that you know uh, my, my dad was very very focused on on social justice and peace, but uh, other than that, he was a great father, and I just want to emphasize that um, you know he was he was a great dad. Uh, he you know my memories of him personally, and I'm sure all your most of your memories of him will you'll all have your own personal stories, and a lot of that will be. Uh, through the networking he did with uh, the various organizations and uh, Houston Peace and Justice Center, Fox Christie, you someone mentioned the Marital House earlier, I remember that as well. Um, but I mean, me and he is his son, you know, I remember my dad uh, teaching me how to play basketball in our backyard. Uh, I remember him uh, <laughs> taking me to buy comic books. Those are the things that meant the most to me. And he was, a, he was a great dad, and he always did those things that you would expect a dad to do. It's so hard to be a dad and spend time with your kids, I, I think more so nowadays. 
uh, having time to raise children, I mean, is this a luxury a lot of people don't have? And you know, with that time in your kids, my dad always did that. He coached our, our little league teams. Um, you know, he attended our baseball games. He did all the sports things that, you know, you see that, you know, uh, maybe you see in movies, but my dad was really doing all those things. Uh, he was such a supportive guy. And uh, you know, I feel very, very thankful to have him as my father, uh, not only because he led by example, and he was such a great human being, and uh, he was very uh, conscientious when it came to social justice issues and, and peace and nonviolence, but he did all those other things that made him such a great dad. And uh, my mom, uh, you know, she was a very loving mom. She made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for me for nine years straight. <laughs> when we were going to school, they never gave us money to buy cafeteria lunches. I was always a little bit envious of the kids who got the money to buy their own cafeteria lunches. My mom was like, no, they're getting peanut butter and jelly again. So I was raised on peanut butter and jelly almost exclusively from pre-K to eighth grade. And that's the kind of mom my mom was. She always made sure you were taken care of and you had clothes and you had uh, food. Um, you know, I remember my mom used to take me out to, uh, you know, when I was in my teens, this is probably mid, mid, early mid-90s, uh, there was this fashion trend the kids had back then. They used to like to wear really big baggy jeans. There was maybe two stores or skate shops uh, in the Houston area that sold that particular kind of clothing. And, you know, I would ask my mom, mom I really want these jeans. My mom would drive me out to uh, uh, I guess it was a uh, Bay City or one of these places that you know are 50, 45 miles outside of Houston. It took about an hour to get there just to get these jeans for us. So you know she cared about the fact you know these things were important to us. You know she was a, a good mom. She loved us. And, uh, again, I'm gonna miss them both very, very much. They were great people. Um, I just want to emphasize that they were great parents. So thank you. Thank you.
saying this to them.
Okay, the one thing I guess, sitting through all the funerals that I have in my, my life, I know y'all have, it's a very sad affair, but I don't think we should be too sad. Not not in this case, not not with Dave. I mean, we've all got to go. He didn't go anywhere we're not going. And uh, I'm surprised he went before me, but that's okay. You know, eventually I'll get there. Eventually we'll all get there. And I think you have to realize when you trade the sorrow, the sadness that you feel without ever having known this person, Say you wiped him out of your entire imagination, your entire life. He never existed. Would you want that so you don't feel sad when they die? No. You're going to want this this part of us. We visit each other. We're all bits and pieces of each other that we come in contact with. And um, I've met some amazing people, thanks to your dad. Sister Seal, I wouldn't know you. Jimmy, Joe, I wouldn't know you. And Tim, and Tom, too. So, sorry, my brand is no good. Elegant story, yes. Um, anyway, Tom, I said, yes, from Brian, yes. That's it. I, I could have a name tag on. I don't remember who I was. So I, I, I kind of, like I said, I apologize for the EMC and the fourth wall the other, but that's the best I got. So I know a lot of people wanted to say some stuff about Dave. And, and they're what they do. Do we have time? Uh, Bill, do we have time to have another few people come up and say something? We have about 15 minutes before we have to start cleaning up. Well, then. Uh, do you want to say something? Okay, one hour person. We have two. Two people. We have 15 minutes, two people. You've got five. You have, keep it to two minutes. Touch off at five. The hook comes out and get pulled off the stage. <laughs> Hi, for those of you who know me, my name is Lee. Uh, I was the director for Amnesty International for about, uh, let's say, 2012 to 2019. Better? Yeah. Okay. All right. I was the director of Amnesty International from about 2012 to 2019, and I owe that all to Dave. Actually, the first time I met him was back in, I want to say, 2008, and then later on, as as we became familiar with each other, our paths crossed. And, uh, there were many parades I know that we marched in together with him you know, hey, like, even whenever I was a college professor at HCC, I had to come over a few times to uh, speak to my kids about the death penalty and stuff like that. So um, he follows in the steps of the Steve Rogers Captain America, he belongs up there. So yeah, you know, you kind of honor a number of justice leaders, whatever you want to call that. And uh, I was just grateful to have him. His his, his wife, Peggy, she was my school nurse whenever I was a wee undergrad. So um, I was afraid to know both of them, and uh, I wouldn't be crying today if it wasn't for him. So I'm just I'm grateful that as many of you are to have him in my life. So. So I had the privilege through Helen of 
meeting day, and it was an immediate yes. This organization that was floundering needed a calm presence, and he was the person we selected. I thank Ellen Burns for introducing me to Dave Atwood, said that they are both gone, but it was her suggestion that I think catapulted the Houston Peace and Justice Center forward for many, many years. So, yeah. so I think we'll close it if that's okay. Does anybody have any objections? Yeah. Stand up for So uh, thank you for coming and thank you for putting up with me. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.